Well, good morning. Grab your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 3. We're looking this morning at verses 14 through verse 19. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. As I was standing up here and singing and, and hearing your voices wash over my head from behind me, I couldn't help but ask the Lord to, to look at what he's done. I just felt like, God, God, look at what you've done. Look, look, look at this church. Look at the beauty of your saints, the power of your word, people who are coming together Sunday morning to praise and worship our Lord God. So I'm encouraged, and I hope you are as well. Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 3, 14 through 19. This is the word of God. It's true, inspired, and God's word will never lead us astray. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We've got something sizzling up here. I think the uh, sausages are almost ready. I can hear it on this side. There we go. Okay. That's three and a That's one of their growing pains. Verse 19 again. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning, and as I have prepared and look at this passage, I feel very weak and frail when faced with the theological profundity of, of what is before us. So I pray this morning that because of your love for these people, because of your love for your saints, that you will help me to communicate what you have here in your word for their sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've seen the movie or read the book or saw the musical Les Miserables, but it's one of my favorites, one of Linda's, one of our favorites. We've seen a couple of times live performances. And in it, there's a scene where one of the young characters is 
a revolutionary and he is standing on this barricade and fighting off the imperial forces, basically. And he's wounded. And a man who's the main character named Jean Valjean has found out that this young, wounded revolutionary is a man that his daughter is deeply in love with. And so he pulls him to safety and considering the possible loss of a future son-in-law and the heart being crushed of his, of his daughter losing this young man that he's in love with, Jean Valjean begins to sing this song, which is a prayer. I saw the writers of Les Miserables talking about this, and they said this was a hymn. And it begins in... It's a beautiful, a beautiful song, and it starts this way. God on high, hear my prayer. In my need, you have always been there. And as he goes on, he, he begs that God will hear him. Because of God's goodness and because of his mercy, that he will let this boy live. He sings, Bring him home. Bring him home. That's Jean Valjean's prayer. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? If you're like me, you probably pray for guidance, for help, for illness. You may pray for a husband. You may pray for a wife, a child, to be blessed with children. To, you may pray for marriage. You may pray for wisdom. There are many reasons that we pray. And all of them are, are good reasons. I don't want in any way to diminish our little prayers or our big prayers or any kind of prayer this morning. That's not my, my purpose here today. But I want us as this congregation to be elevated today in the thinking about our prayers. The purpose of my sermon is in the notes here. It says this, the purpose is to, to be encouraged by Paul's preparation and petition in prayer so that he may go, so that we may go before the throne of God for our church to be strengthened and know the fullness of God. I pray that as you study this prayer with me this morning, this will become a prayer that you pray. Not as a mantra, not as some vain repetition, not some magic words that you repeat like so many of the uh, so-called pastoral or evangelical gurus may put out books that you buy at Costco. But no, this is a prayer that you could take into your heart and you can follow along and, and, and pray this prayer for our church, for your children. 
there's two points today, and there's some sub-points that I didn't give you, but it's basically simply this. Paul's preparation for prayer, verses 14 and 15, and Paul's petition in prayer, verses 16 through 19. So let's get started. Number one, Paul's preparation for prayer. Look at verse 14 with me. A uh, parenthetical comment from me now is that Paul has started this prayer really in verse 1 of chapter 3 because he begins there saying, for this reason, and, he, and then it's almost as if he, like I often do, I start a point and then I forget what I'm saying and I go back to give this parenthetical comment about what I really need to tell you about before coming back to where I was at the beginning. So Paul says, for this reason, reason chapter 3, verse 1, and then he fills it up with theological uh, riches of knowing the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mystery of God that Gentiles are, are, are people of faith and they can be brought into the kingdom of God. And all this wonderful uh, glory of Christ and of salvation is all filled up in there. And then in verse 14, it's like he comes back to where he started. He says in verse 14, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory. So first we see here his preparation. This is his preparation for the petition that will soon follow. We see first under this preparation is that Paul prays with purpose. He says, for this reason. For this reason. Paul prays with purpose. He prays with a plan. He enters the prayer closet with a sense of devotion and dedication. As I said before, I don't want to uh, diminish our, our prayers uh, while we're driving or while we're going here or there. And, and, and there are many prayers we have that are just help God, right? I need a parking place. There are times when we pray those kinds of prayers, and I don't demand. I believe that's right and good, but there are specific times here where we see Paul here praying with a purpose, and he knows, he says, for this reason, I know why I'm here. Why is he praying with such purpose? Because he knows that his prayer closet sits in the throne room of God. He says, for this reason, I do what? I bow my knees. Paul's position in prayer is one of bowing. He prostrates himself before the sovereign God of the universe. He comes with an attitude of reverence, an attitude of submission. As Americans, we are at a distinct disadvantage. We don't bow. There are a few Americans who may have a habit of bowing, who have uh, another culture in their background. And sometimes we bow. But most of us don't bow. The tradition in America for so many years has been that of, of shaking hands, right? And I'm saddened to see that, that, that even that is going away to the bumping of the elbow. And soon it'll be just the uh, you know, high five from five feet away. I don't know where we're going with this, but, but, but let Anyway, I'd rather shake your hand. Don't bump my elbow. <laughs> I understand if, if, uh, if you're whatever, but I'd like to shake your hand. But, but the shaking of hands is, is really the coming of, of equals, isn't it? Seeing each other, greeting each other as an equal on the same playing field. 
But here Paul bows. He bows. R.C. Sproul tells of a, a good friend of his named John Guest, who was an evangelist in England. And he came to the United States in the 60s to become a pastor here in America. And R.C. tells of how he was taken, uh, this man John Guest, Pastor John Guest was taken around in around Philadelphia, and they were showing him all sorts of uh, things there about the American Revolution and Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. And they were visiting an antique store, and there were some revolutionary placards there in this antique store. Things like, no taxation without representation, or don't tread on me. I was behind a truck just yesterday with that sticker. Don't tread on me. But John said telling R.C. later, he said, the one that stood out to him was this one. We serve no sovereign here. We serve no sovereign here. Here's what John Guest said about that. He said, that sign stopped me in my tracks. I left my native land and came across the Atlantic Ocean in response to a call, a vocation to be a minister of the gospel to proclaim the kingdom of God. But on seeing this sign, I was filled with fear and consternation. I thought, how can I possibly preach the kingdom of God to people who have a profound aversion to sovereignty? Paul knows that he's in the presence of a sovereign. Not only a sovereign, but the sovereign the king of the universe. And so he says, for this reason, I bow. I bow. He comes with an attitude of reverence, an attitude of submission, an attitude of humility, and we should do likewise as we approach prayer. Not only does he pray with purpose, he prays with a position of humility. Paul also prays to a person. He prays to a person. Let me remind us that prayers are not just words, mantras, uh, meditations, just words out there. When we pray, we are talking, we are communicating with the sovereign Lord of the universe. We're praying to a person who happens to be the first person of the Trinity, the Father. So Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, the Father, who happens to be our Father, Paul's Father. In the Old Testament, the term Father is only used of God 15 times out of the 1,448 occurrences. But in the New Testament, it's used frequently. 245 times the term refers to God, our Father, Believers are sons of God, and therefore we can address God as our Father, or Abba, or Daddy, Dada. And, and I was talking to someone recently who has a, a child on the way, and, uh, and I saw that. What, was that. what was that term back there for, for Papa? Baba? I'm sorry, I shouldn't call you out. Sorry, Nora. Daddy, right? We all, every culture has, has its name for the intimate relationship of Father, doesn't it? And I can remember when, when Hayden first called me Dada, right? And every dad can probably remember that. The, the, the intimacy, the, the beauty, the, the wonder of, of, wow, he knows my name. <laughs> Dada. 
Abba, Papa. We have a father. When Jesus met Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, listen to what he said to her. She sees him and he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus has a Father who is his Father, and now, believers, we have a Father who also is our Father. He is our Father. Remember, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. So the sovereign king of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, is our father. And every father has a family. Every father has children. Listen to what he says. He says, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, this section here where it says every family from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named it certainly can mean what's translated here in, in, in many translations translated every family pasa patria is, is translated every family and it's true that we are all from one man and so have a sense of a family all humans are from the family of Adam we're human beings in, in Acts 17 26 Paul addressing the Areopagus says this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So from one man every nation of mankind. And later in 1728 he says, in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. And so the idea here is yes, yes there's a sense in which we are all uh, the entire family is derivative of, of Adam and, and from God as well. But, but, but I think what Paul has in mind here is not necessarily just every family of, of, of humans on the earth, but instead the idea of the whole family, as in the family of God or the children of God who belong to our Father God. I believe this tracks more with the context of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 5, 6 says this, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And so the whole idea of the reason God has sent his son is for adoption, to, to have a family, to be part of the family of God, the whole family of God. Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. Um, let me read this to us. Ephesians 2, 17. Flip over there with me. And he came to preach, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Remember just a few weeks back who we were talking about there? Those who are far off are those who are Gentiles, and those who are near are those who are Jews. So he preached to Jews and to Gentiles, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God. So now, yes, Jews who are believers are members of this household, and now Gentiles are members of this household. And this household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so those who are far, those who are near, Jews and Gentiles, all now being one family, all now being one structure or one temple, are brought together. And here I believe that's what Paul is, is referring to. All these uh, be believers, both Jews and Gentiles, the whole family of God, and they are named as well. What is our name? We are children of God. We are God's children. Not all humans are children of God. Believers are children of God, those who have been adopted into His family. We are a particular people, the children of God. God is a father, which means He has children. Ephesians 5.15, Therefore, be imitators of God as His beloved children. And so as children of God, we have the family resemblance. He talks about also uh, from every family in heaven and on earth is named. The Father from whom every, every family on whom... Uh, from, I'm sorry from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I believe this is referring to all believers in heaven who have gone on before us, Jews and Gentiles and all those on earth as well, who share the name family of God or children of God. So when he goes and says this, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory and then he begins to start his petition. That according to the riches of his glory. John Piper says this, recording that, that, that phrase, according to the riches of his glory. What does that mean? He says, when God gives according to the riches of his glory, the gift is owing to and in proportion with the infinite resources of God's glory to meet every true need. Okay, so his riches from his infinite resources, God has the ability to meet every true need. And also, he believes it means this, the infinite beauty of God's glory to be our all-satisfying treasure. And so God's riches, the riches of his glory, we can think of it this way. It, God's glory is the mountain spring or the source of all good things, of His grace and His mercy and His love, like the mountain spring is the source, and it's also the final ocean, or the result, or the reservoir of His goodness. So Paul is, is just front-loading his prayer and, and saying, look, I'm getting ready to ask you for some stuff for people that you love and people that I love, and I'm asking you that, that, you will, that you will take it from this reservoir of righteousness, this reservoir of greatness, because you're the source of every good and perfect gift. You have it all. And so I can look at the source of all the greatness from God, and then I can also look at the result of all the greatness. So the, the source is like the mountain spring. That's where it flows from, God's greatness and goodness. But look at this reservoir. Look at this ocean of goodness that we see as a result of His greatness and goodness. That's what he's referring to, we believe, when he says, according to the riches of his glory. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says it well. 
for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen? So, now, having prepared his heart by knowing his purpose for prayer, having bowed his knees before the Father in submission and humility, knowing to whom he is praying, his and our Heavenly Father, and knowing the great resources from which God may draw upon and be praised for, Paul begins his petition. <sighs> Heavy sigh from your pastor who's preaching. His first petition. He says that according to his riches and glory. First petition. That what? He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is his first petition. Because of all this, because of all that God is, I'm asking that he may grant. Stop there. When I went to college, I had no money. Uh, I was not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. My parents were not wealthy any, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, my dad always told me, you're going to college. You're going to college. You're going to college. Um, looking back, I think, wait a minute. He, you just pushed me to go to college, but there was no money for me to go to college. <laughs> And because of the level of uh, income that my parents had, what did I do? I filled out uh, financial aid forms, and I got a loan. And what do you do with a loan? You got to pay it back, right? <laughs> you get a loan, you pay it back. And I got a grant. Do you have to pay a grant back? No. Woohoo! A grant is free money. So half of my college was loan, half of my college was grant. It's free. It's given freely. It's a gift. Notice his first petition, that he may grant you, that God may give you freely out of his grace, out of his goodness. This is his first petition, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being. So let's break this down. We're going to look first at strengthened. You may be strengthened. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It's, it's my prayer for you. It should be your prayer for me and for your own children. First, be strengthened. When we think it's, it's helpful to take words and, and, and kind of take them in some ways out of the context and think about them in other ways. So when we think about strengthened itself, I think about physical strength. What does it mean to be strengthened? Or how can you be strong? Well, you can be strong. You can have, a man can have a strong back. When I was a, a young man in the hill country in Texas, I came back home and my dad found a job for me. He came home and said, hey, you know, I got a job for you. Okay, what am I going to be doing? You're going to be digging ditches, uh, putting in water, uh, water sprinkler systems. And so uh, when they would hit this hard rock in the, in the ground, they would say, hey, Kevin, grab the pick and grab the shovel and come over here and you got to dig this ditch right there. And so I, I had to, I needed a strong back to dig ditches all day long. So you could, you could have a strong back. You could be able to lift heavy things. In a time of a, an emergency, you could help someone in an accident or come to the assistance of someone who needed a burden lifted. One thing we could have is strong arms. You could develop your arms and be, be able to, to uh, defeat an enemy or 
fight off someone who's attacking you or, or lift someone who is, who is on the ground. You can wax on and wax off, right? When someone is coming after you, if you have strong arms. You could have a strong constitution. That's another way we think of strength. That guy is very strong. He has the ability to endure, to survive, to work hard, to persevere. All these ideas help us to think about how Paul uses the term to be strengthened. But to be strengthened is to, is to, to, to live the Christian life so that we can lift heavy burdens for our brothers, to, to defeat our enemy Satan as he attacks, or to defend the helpless, and to, to persevere and endure in this fight is this fight that's our Christian life. And we need this because, get this, this strength is not innate to us. It's not intrinsic to us. We're not just, just going to get stronger on our own. Paul asks that this may be granted, may be given, because we're not strong. We're weak. And so we, we need to be strengthened with power, which is outside of us. This power is not intrinsic to us, but it comes from another source. It comes, Paul tells us, from the Spirit. From the Spirit. Ephesians 3.20 says this regarding the power. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all, than, than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Also in Ephesians 1.17, he says this, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the work of His great might? This outside power that's given to us by God through the Spirit. Ephesians 6.10, we're encouraged, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Ah, I saw that, Dave, right? No, not your might. The strength of His might, right? His might. Right? I'm weak. He is strong. I need His power to dwell within me. This is a strength that must come from outside of them and outside of me and outside of you. And where is the strength with power being directed? What is being strengthened with power? In your inner being or your inner man or the inner self. The inside has got to be strengthened to walk this life, to live this Christian faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18 says this, so we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Some of you have lost heart. Some of you are in the process of losing heart. We don't lose heart, Paul says. Though our outward self is wasting away, my outward self is wasting away. A couple of years ago, the doctor throws up an x-ray and says, you need a hip transplant. <laughs> I'm like, I'm only 56 at that time, probably. I have tinnitus or tinnitus, however you call it. There's a ringing in my ears. I go to the doctor and they say, you're losing some of your hearing. You need hearing aids. My hair has fallen out and probably continues to fall out. I was working out. Hayden was at the gym swimming and I went to lift a few weights. And as I was there trying to lift a few weights, I looked over at this young man who was doing pull-ups. I was like, wow, I wish I could do pull-ups like that. 
And then he stopped and got a plate this big, <laughs> strapped it to a belt, and proceeded to do like 20 more pull-ups. I was standing just like, like you know? I wanted to wa walk up and say, Can, would you sign this autograph or something? I was like, what? And I thought to myself, oh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> Our outward self is wasting away. Paul says, but our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're all wasting away, brothers, sisters. But I can't look at the outer man Paul here prays for his beloved Ephesians that their inner man, their inner self, will be strengthened with power. Do you want to understand one of the schemes of the devil? I'm going to tell you right now. One of the schemes of the devil, focus on the outer man. Focus on the outer man. Spend all your time looking in the mirror and worrying about how you look, what your weight is, your hair, all those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with all that. Paul says that exercise is of some value. It is. But Satan was, and our culture would have us focus all this time on the outer man. I don't have any time to work on the inner man, Kevin. I'm working on the outer man. I've got to do this, got to do that, I've got to do this. Got to... So no, no. We've got to focus on the inner man. The second petition that Paul has is this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I believe these phrases are uh, concordant clauses uh, that both are for the prayers of the Ephesians to grow in their Christian life. The Ephesians are Christians. Paul is writing to Christians. And Paul is praying that they will be given strength in their inner man. But we know that Christ himself give strength to Christians as well. So on some level, we have to kind of ask, why is it that he's asking that Christ would dwell in their hearts? If they already believe in Jesus and have faith, isn't Christ in their hearts? We know that Jesus Christ himself gives us strength. Here are some verses that talk about that. Ephesians 6.10, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. 1 Timothy 1.12, I, uh, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me that through, uh, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. 2 Corinthians 12.9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I might boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest in me. Christ gives strength and dwells in the heart of the inner person of the Christian. Romans 8, 9, and 10, though, shows what happens if we do not have Christ. And we, we know this as believers, don't we? You, however, he says to believers, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. F summing that up, 
Not to have Christ in you is not to be a Christian. Not to have Christ in you is not to be a Christian. So why is Paul praying that Christ may dwell in these Christians' hearts through faith if they already as believers have faith? Here's what one writer said, and, and, I, and I believe this is the case. Paul is praying that the Ephesians' faith will be strong and will not fail. He's praying that as Christ is living in them, that Christ would dwell or inhabit or take up residence or make his home or be comfortable and growing and thriving in the hearts of the Ephesians. Paul is not praying that the Ephesians do something here. He's asking Christ to do something here. He's asking God to do something here. Do you see that? It's not something that, that I might necessarily say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Christ dwell in me more. He's praying to God and saying, will you grant this? Will you cause your son to, to inhabit, to dwell, to be comfortable, to make his home in these believers' hearts? We do not believe that a true born-again believer can ever lose his salvation. But one of the ways that God has ordained that we keep our salvation is for believers to pray and ask and beseech God that we will not lose it. That's one of the ways that we persevere in the faith is by others praying for us. Paul is praying that the presence of Christ will persevere the Ephesians' faith. And he's praying that the presence of Christ will transform the Ephesians' faith as well. So if you are strengthened with power in your inner man and Christ dwells in your heart by faith, you will be rooted and grounded in love. The next section there. Your Christianity will be strong and powerful, unable to be torn from the earth when the storms of life hit. Verse 17b, that you be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted here like a tree. Many of you have had planted trees or had trees in your, in your house or at your at your at your residence. Years ago, when we moved into our house across the street, someone had taken some little ficus gifts, right? Those little small ficus trees that are often in little pots. They put them on porches. Well, this gentleman took his little ficus tree that was a gift and he planted it in his front yard. By the time we moved in, you could not put your arms around that ficus. It was gargantuan. It was huge. It blocked out the sun. All the birds of the, of the world nested in it. It was amazing. And when we bought the house, neighbors told us, get ready uh, because you're going to have plumbing problems because of Tony's ficus. <laughs> because the roots of that ficus tree, which went up probably, I don't know, it probably was 100 feet. It was gargantuan. Those roots went down deep, deep, deep into the earth and into my plumbing. You, being rooted, being rooted, this refers to a tree, being rooted and, and grounded. The word here is, is, is the word also used for foundation or founded, the foundation. So having roots like a tree that go deep into the earth and having a strong foundation. If you have these things, then in order that, verse 18, you may have strength to, here's what you need your strength for. Not to just lift heavy objects, but you need strength to comprehend. Comprende? 
to comprehend, to understand with all the saints. All of us need to know this. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here we go back to our illustration, the tree illustration. A tree has roots that, roots that grow deep and they go deep and they go down below the surface of the earth securing that tree and as the roots go deeper the branches go higher and we can see this as our love for Christ we can comprehend the, the, the depth of Christ's love for us that goes deep into the earth that holds us and keeps us stable and firm in Christ and the branches that grow higher and fuller and are full of life or the illustration of, of a house and the foundation a foundation that is built with a rock-solid foundation on Christ. It's ever-expanding. It's going, it's going wider. It's going longer. And so the, the prayer is, is that we may, we may know the love of Christ. We may know the grace of Christ. That you may go grow wide with Christ. You may go long with Christ. You will grow high with Christ. You will go deep with Christ. In verse 19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is funny to me in here because I'm up here, I've been preaching now for quite a while. <laughs> and then Paul says, you know, you're trying to explain the love of Christ. And then Paul says, but you know what? It surpasses knowledge. What Paul is saying is theologically, we're in the deep end of the pool, okay? And he's asking God to help these Ephesians to know the depth, the width, the breadth, the height of Christ's love and His grace. And finally, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer is the Ephesians will be strong in the Spirit and Christ may live in their hearts so powerfully that they would know and understand the width and length and height and depth of Christ's love. When I'm teaching my elementary school students and we get into geometry, we start with, with very simple things like a point, okay? Dink, there's a point, right? A point. And we draw a little line out here and put an arrow on it, and there's a ray. And then we can draw one point to another point, and there's a line. And so you got this line, and then what do you do now? Now you can draw another line, and then you can draw another line, and you have a figure, right? But, but, but until you have some, you can go from one dimension to two dimension to three dimensions, until you, you, you can't do volume without three dimensions, right? To fill something up. And so Paul here is talking about these, the, these, the, the width, the depth, the height. He's describing this figure that can be filled. And so as believers, we're not to be one-dimensional Christians that are flat and straight and that's it, but instead be filled, our volume filled in every place with the knowledge of God, to be filled with the fullness of God. John Piper says this, he says, the love of Christ is God's gift of himself in all the ways a human can enjoy him. This is the fullness of God. And he says it another way, he says, the fullness of God is all that God is for us through the love of Christ. We pray, our prayer, is that we ultimately will know the fullness of God. 
if we pray this prayer, if we understand this prayer and, and God grants this prayer, then all our other little prayers will be answered as well. We will not be, we're praying for our marriages. I need, I need this first. I need this first in my heart before I pray specifically for my marriage or for my child or for a child to be granted me or for, for, for a job or for the future. This is where we need to focus our attention more and more. Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, we'll end here. He predestined us for adoption. He's made us children to himself. As sons, we're his children through Jesus Christ. This is why he came for us. This is what he's done to us. He's predestined us. He's called us. He's elected us so that we may be sons of the Most High according to the purpose of His will. And why was that? To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. I pray that, that, that you will look at this passage afresh that you will begin to pray this passage for our church specifically, that you will pray this passage for your children specifically. I've, I've begun just in my quiet time, begin to, 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 to put Hayden's name in there or Linda's name in there or other saints a part of the, that are part of this church or even redeemed in here. And to pray that, to pray that as we bow our knees before the Father, that according to his riches and glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. May that be our prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, this is a very, very rich piece of your word we pray that by your spirit that you will even now give us power in our inner man to understand what you have here for us we ask Lord that for your glory you may give us your fullness. And we pray, Father, that we will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. May we experience it. May we know it. May, Lord, this not be just some factual knowledge, but a deep, profound, and intimate knowledge of your love. And as we know that and experience it, Lord, because of your fullness, when we're bumped, when we're challenged, because we're full of the fullness of God, that's what spills out on people. That the overflow of your greatness will come from these redeemed saints. We love you and commit ourselves to you again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the elders are going to come forward for prayer. If you need prayer, then you may come and receive prayer from them.